Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutic Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as we discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. Hi, my name is Donna Lisi. I'm an independent clinical pharmacy consultant. Today, I am joined by Dr. Serbi Polymus. In her current role, Dr. Polkimus is with the University of Colorado Hospital 340B Contract Pharmacy. Previously, she was practicing at the University of Colorado Hospital Benign Hematology Clinic at the Blood Dis- Disorder Center, where she worked under a collaborative practice agreement to provide comprehensive anticoagulation management, formulary management, and assisted with transitions of care for benign hematology patients. She's also clinical assistant professor at Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences and a preceptor for advanced pharmacy practice experience ambulatory rotations. In addition, Dr. Polkumis is a member of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, American Society of Hematology and Anticoagulation Excellence through Anticoagulation Forum. In this episode, we will be discussing the limitations of current therapeutic options for hemophilia B we will be exploring the new gene therapy, Hygenix, which has been dubbed the most expensive drug in the world. We will examine this drug from both a clinical and cost perspective. Thank you, Serbi, for joining me today. So let's get started. Dr. Polkimus, can you please describe for our audience what hemophilia B is and briefly discuss its epidemiology? Thank you, Dr. Lisi and ASHP for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure. So to start out, hemophilia B is also known as factor IX deficiency or Christmas disease. It is the second most common type of hemophilia. The prevalence of hemophilia B is 5.3 cases per 100,000 male individuals, with 44% of those having severe disease. So hemophilia B is much less common than hemophilia A. Of all hemophilia cases, 80 to 85% are hemophilia A, 14% are hemophilia B, and the remainder are various other clotting abnormalities. It's important to note that hemophilia B may be classified as severe disease, moderate, or mild, and that's based on plasma levels of factor IX. So a patient with severe hemophilia B will have factor IX levels less than 1%, moderate will have 1% to 5%, and somebody with mild hemophilia will have 6 to 40% factor IX levels. About 50% of persons with hemophilia B have factor IX levels greater than 1%. Great. Thank you for that. I think that really helps set up our talk. So let's talk a little bit about hemophilia B and how it's currently managed, that is, prior to the approval of hygienics. This is a great question. The goal of management of hemophilia B is prevention of bleeding and joint damage, prompt management of bleeding, management of any complications, and paying closer attention to psychosocial health. The approach that is taken to achieve management is through a comprehensive hemophilia treatment center, where there is a multidisciplinary team of experts who care for patients with bleeding disorders. Current standard of care for hemophilia B includes lifelong on-demand and prophylactic replacement therapy with plasma-derived or recombinant factor IX concentrates. These are administered as intravenous infusions. 
Factor IX replacement therapy is effective at reducing bleeding episode and is generally well tolerated. Providers select these products based on evaluation of product safety and quality, purity, viral inactivation, and efficacy. To my knowledge, current national guidelines do not express preference for recombinant over plasma clotting factor concentrate. So really the choice is made based on availability, cost, and patient preference. Thank you for that wonderful overview. So let's dive into, so what are some of the limitations of the current management of hemophilia B? Why is this drug so important to us now, the new drug hemogenics? As I mentioned earlier, the current treatment options are effective. However, they are associated with substantial patient and financial burden. In addition, the lifelong intravenous infusions of factor IX concentrates may lead to development of neutralizing antibodies or inhibitors against factor IX. This can reduce or decrease the effectiveness of the products infused. Patients with severe hemophilia receive intravenous administration factor concentrate several times per week. This does help with reducing joint bleeds and long-term atropathy. Despite this intensive prophylactic regimen, bleedings may still occur, and eventually arthropathy develops over time in many patients. In the last decade, long-acting factor IX products have been developed requiring less intravenous injections, resulting in a higher trough level and low bleeding rate. Also, the risk of bleeding is not completely abolished despite the advancement in factor IX products and additional treatment is still needed before and after surgical interventions. So in the attempt to overcome the challenges associated with factor IX replacement therapy that I mentioned just now, gene therapy is being evaluated or investigated as a potential new treatment paradigm for hemophilia B. Thank you. Can you tell us what hygienics is and a bit about the gene therapy technology that was utilized in making this drug? What is the rationale for the use of gene therapy in this case? I think that's an excellent question and something we really need to think about for our patients. So hemogenics is an adeno-associated virus vector-based gene therapy that's indicated for treatment of adults with hemophilia B who currently use factor IX prophylaxis therapy or have current or historical life-threatening hemorrhage or have repeated serious spontaneous bleeding episodes or have repeated serious spontaneous bleeding episodes. Of note, adeno-associated virus-based gene therapy was introduced 20 years ago by IM injection of recombinant AAV factor IX in patients with hemophilia B. The procedure was safe, and the expression in muscle biopsies lasted more than three years. However, it resulted in minimal increase in plasma 8, 9. Goals of hemophilia gene therapy are to convert the patient from severe to mild hemophilia phenotype, to provide continuous reduction of factor IX with a single administration of gene vector to alleviate need for frequent prophylaxis. It's interesting to find out that hemophilia has long been considered an attractive candidate for gene therapy because it is caused by a single genetic abnormality. Moreover, even a slight increase in blood coagulation factor levels has therapeutic effect. An exact gene expression control is unnecessary. Secondly, it remains a challenge to society that four-fifths of all patients with hemophilia 
mainly those in developing countries, do not receive any treatment. This is why affordable gene therapy will, can be a solution for patients with hemophilia B. Fascinating. This definitely is a novel treatment approach. Given how uncommon hemophilia B is, I think it's fairly safe to say that most pharmacists will not encounter the use of this drug in their practice, so they may be very unfamiliar with it. Serbi, can you please describe for us how Hygenics is dosed and if there are any special dose modifications needed in special populations? Yes, definitely. The recommended dose of Hemogenics is two times 10 to the 13 genome copies per kilogram of body weight. This is to be administered as a single intravenous infusion. The drug should be diluted in normal saline solution prior to administration, and the diluted solution is infused at a constant rate of 8 mLs per minute. Hemogenics is available in a customizable kit containing 10 to 48 single-use vials. Each vial contains an extractable volume of not less than 10 mLs. Each kit constitutes a dosage unit based on patient's body weight, as I mentioned earlier. To select eligible patients, it's important that we get baseline testing, such as liver health test and factor IX inhibitor titer should be done. Hemogenics is not intended uh, for administration in women. The safety and efficacy of hemogenics in pediatric patients has not been established. And as far as hepatic impairment is considered, we have limited clinical data in subjects with liver impairment, indicating numerically, numerically lower factor IX activity as compared to subjects without hepatic, hepatic impairment. So in clinical studies, there's no dose adjustment that's been mentioned for patients with hepatic impairment. In fact, safety and efficacy in subjects with advanced hepatic impairment, including cirrhosis and advanced liver fibrosis, has not been studied. Thinking about our patients with renal impairment, we have limited clinical data that's available in subjects with mild or moderate renal impairment. In clinical studies, no dose adjustment was made in these patients. The safety and efficacy in subjects with severe renal impairment and end-stage renal disease was not studied. Great, very helpful. I, I think that really will help guide our, our use of this medication. Additionally, are there any warnings or precautions that pharmacists and patients should be aware of with hygienics? And also, what are some of the most common adverse effects that we should be looking for? Great question. We need to think about infusion reaction. So it's important to monitor during administration of hemogenics and for at least three hours after the end of infusion. Hepatotoxicity is something that we need to closely monitor transaminase levels once per week for three months after the administration of hemogenics. Hepatocellular carcinogenicity is also something to monitor, and this would really be for patients with pre-existing risk factors such as cirrhosis or advanced hepatic fibrosis. And what we would do is perform regular liver ultrasound for these patients. It's important to monitor laboratory tests, and we would be monitoring factor IX activity and factor IX inhibitor development in these patients if that were to happen. The most common adverse reaction that has been uh, reported with incidence of greater than equal to 5% was elevated ALT. Some patients experience headache, certain blood enzymes, flu-like symptoms, infusion-related re reaction, fatigue, 
malaise, and elevated AST. That's very helpful. One more thing, are there any special storage or handling requirements from a pharmacy perspective for hygienics? So once a pharmacy receives hemogenics, uh, it's important to store the vials in the refrigerator and to keep the hemogenics in its original carton until it's ready to be used. And it's important not to freeze the product as well. After dilution though, um, hemogenics should be protected. Hemogenics infusion bags should be protected from light. And it's important to infuse a diluted product within 24 hours after dose preparation. Wonderful. I think this is all very useful information for our audience. Let's talk a bit about Hemgenics clinical efficacy. How successful has it been in clinical trials and which patients benefit most from the drug? Looking at clinical efficacy of Hemgenics, we need to be aware of the trial called HOPE B trial. This trial is still ongoing. It's a prospective, open label, single dose, single arm, multinational study that enrolled 54 men with moderately severe to severe hemophilia B. A single dose of hemogenics that was given to these patients produced a mean factor nine activity of 39% at six months post-infusion and 37% at 24 months. The mean adjusted annualized bleeding rate at seven to 18 months post-infusion was reduced by 54% when compared with the lead-in period trial where participants received factor IX prophylactic replacement therapy. In addition, 94% of patients treated with the therapy discontinued use of prophylaxis, which is huge, and, and they remained free of previous continuous routine prophylaxis therapy, which is, again, a huge success for our patients. It's important to note that there of the 54 subjects that were included in this study, 53 subjects completed a at least 18 months of follow-up in the ongoing study. One patient or one subject with numerous cardiovascular and neurologic risk factors that was aged um, 77 years um, died of urosepsis and cardiogenic shock um, during the treatment, which is unrelated to treatment of hemogenics. Another subject received about 10% of the intended dose of hemogenics due to an infusion-related hypersensitivity reactions. That's all very interesting. I think it's noteworthy that the only population studied were men. I think there's more to come with that one. Now, let me ask you the $3.5 million question. That used to be the million-dollar question. That's inflation for you. Hygienics is the most expensive drug in the world at $3.5 million for a once-in-a-lifetime dose. Can you please discuss the cost-benefit analysis studies that we use to justify the price of this drug? This is a great question, and I am still learning and evaluating the literature to better understand the cost of this drug. So the initial success rate of hemogenics appears excellent as long as the selected candidates do not have high antibody titers to the adenovirus vector that was used in delivery of the therapy and then they receive a full dose of the, the hemogenics. No patients meeting this, these criteria had to go back to factor prophylaxis during the first 18 months of therapy, as I mentioned earlier. Furthermore, bleeding rates were lower years four and five in the long-term follow-up that the initial cohort treated patients. But the number of patients was very low. We only had five patients. 
It is not yet clear that the initial increase in factor nine levels will be maintained for decades, and that's something we need to explore further, though the results of the study are encouraging. Finally, the reduction in burden of therapy, no longer needing weekly or more frequent factor nine therapy is a major benefit for our patients. Because of the uncontrolled study design, small number of patients studied and relatively short follow-up, there's still considerable uncertainty about the long-term net benefits of hemogenics compared to factor IX prophylaxis. In particular, there are uncertainties about the long-term impact of therapy on liver function and the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. However, the short-term results clearly favor hemogenics and the harms seem relatively modest. Therefore, there is a moderate certainty of a small or substantial health benefit with high certainty of at least a small net benefit of hemogenics compared to other factor IX prophylaxis. Okay, so let's address cost again. With that price tag, I guess the burning question is, how will payers, both private and federal, approach the use of hygienics? What are your thoughts on this issue? I'm glad we're digging deep into the price tag of this product. From what I have read, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review has determined that gene therapy such as hemogenic becomes more cost-effective the more durable it is. Interestingly, the company marketing the product, CSL Bearing, contends that by reducing costs associated with bleeding and prophylactic infusions, the one-time treatment will save money over time. I think it's also important for us to think that uh, the current cost of treatment for people with moderate to severe hemophilia are quite significant. So for severe hemophilia B patients, for example, over the period of lifetime, the cost can be as much as $20 million per person. In addition to this, I was just looking to see how many insurance companies are um, qualifying use or allowing use of hemogenics through their insurance plan. And I came across one Blue Cross Blue Shield plan of Michigan that includes um, a coverage criteria for this medication that's lengthier than what the FDA criteria or eligibility for this patients would be. They include um, specific points such as having a factor tighter and, um, and it, that patient has had trial and failure or contraindications to their current preferred products. And then furthermore, they limit the use of this drug for only three months. All of this is great, but it's very confusing because if this is a one-time infusion of hemogenics, I don't understand how the insurance company can only authorize this product for three months. So as you can see, there's a lot more we need to learn about the cost benefit analysis of this product and patient selection criteria to further understand how payers are gonna pay for this drug. Thank you. That was very insightful. I, I agree. I think there's a lot more that we need to learn, not only about the efficacy and other populations with this drug, but also how we're going to pay for this drug. As we wrap up, I just want to ask you, um, Serby, what are some of your closing thoughts about the use of this drug and, and where it's going to fit in the future? This is the first gene therapy that has been approved for hemophilia, and pharmacists can play a vital role in monitoring our patients. We can monitor factor IX activity regularly, as I mentioned earlier. Benefit from hemogenics administration may not be apparent for several weeks, and exogenous human factor IX may be necessary during the first weeks following infusion.
Right. I think we are now embarking on a new era with gene therapy. So I, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to, to, to educate us on this important topic. So just to summarize, Hygenics is a first-in-class gene therapy that offers hope to patients suffering from hemophilia B. Common adverse effects of Hygenics include elevated ALT levels and elevated AST levels, headache, creatinine kinase elevations, flu-like symptoms, infusion-related reactions, fatigue, and malaise. The drug carries warnings and precautions about infusion reactions, hepatotoxicity, and possible hepatocellular carcinoma. As the most expensive drug in the world, the question of how its use will be funded still remains to be answered. I would like to thank Dr. Serbi Parkimus for spending her time and, and sharing her talent today to educate us on this important topic and to thank you for joining us on Therapeutic Thursdays. If you haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP's clinical resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as resources center including those on critical care, nutrition support, opiate management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, and forums such as ASHP section of clinical specialists and scientists, Connect Community, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. Thank you for tuning in for this section of Therapeutic Thursdays, and join us here every Thursday well, we will be talking with contact experts on a variety of clinical topics. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.